Hi, I'm Jack Cush, executive editor of RoomNow.com. It's the 17th of November, 2017, and this is the Room Now Week in Review. A lot of good news this week after the ACR. It still comes in. There's still actually a number of things on our website you may want to look at, including videos and reports that summarize what happened at the ACR. But we did cover a lot of new news that came across the uh, wire, uh, and I'll fill you in on that. So. I don't know if you saw this, and I don't know if this is important to you, but um, a bunch of cardiologists, the American Heart Association got together and they've redefined hypertension. Um, again, this is something, it's a comorbidity, it's important. Uh, we see it in our patients. We channel patients with hypertension back to their primary care doctors. We treat hypertension. Um, the new definition is 130 over 80. It's no longer 140 over 90. Uh, and this is based on data that says that um, lower blood pressures have less overall risk for heart and stroke and things like that. So again, the numbers lower, um, uh, it's sort of like a treat to target sort of message, isn't it? In uh, the last, what, 15 years, uh, the Australians have developed a registry looking at their RA patients, specifically almost around 3,700 RA patients. And they had an interesting report that looked at steroid use. And what they did show was it starting in sort of five-year blocks in 2001, uh, that steroid use back then was a, a, as much as 55%, and that when you go out as far as 2015, steroid use amongst RA patients had dropped almost 16% down to 39% of their patients. Patients who were more likely to be on steroids included those that were on DMARDs and non-steroidals and opioids, um, those with higher activity, those with lower pain scores, those with worse hacks. Uh, interestingly, steroid use was not associated with biologics. Does that mean that patients on biologics are better controlled and don't need steroids? Uh, certainly, would, you would suggest a channeling bias for steroid use amongst those who are more aggressively treated, DMARDs and pain medicines and non-steroidals. So it, it is interesting to note how A, steroids have, use has changed, and then also maybe that uh, more, even more aggressive therapy may be associated with less use. Uh, a nice report in the Journal of Clinical Investigation came out this past week on IL-17 producing alpha-beta cells, T-cells, uh, being found at the sites of lesions that have resolved. So specifically, they took psoriasis patients and they uh, uh, biopsied and analyzed skin that had previously had active skin disease to see if there were resident cells. And in fact, they did find these T-cell clones that had psoriasis-specific antigen receptors on them that was seen in previously lesional skin, suggesting that, that these T-cells reside there and don't go away very easily, that they are partly, probably part of the pathogenesis of the disorder. So it's a nice advance, tells you something about the pathogenesis, about IL-17, uh, and maybe how uh, we need to modify our treatment, especially after we've done well and resolved the lesions. Uh, an, a very uh, controversial report, uh, it was a news item, it was done by an analysis done by a group that was not CMS, but they came up with, uh, after analyzing the data, they came up with this statement that uh, the settlement between AbbVie and Amgen regarding the use of Amgen's adalimumab biosimilar called Amgevita uh, um, is going to affect uh, the cost of care here in the United States, specifically the settlement says that Amgevita, the adalimumab biosimilar, can be sold in Europe beginning October of 2018, but that it would not be sold in the United States until January 1st of 2023. This uh, 
not making it available in the United States is now estimated to cost the U.S. Centers of Medicare and Medicaid CMS $1.48 billion, a billion and a half dollars in, in savings they would might have otherwise realized had the biosimilar been available. Now, there are obviously other adalimumab biosimilars that will come into play, but these are just some conservative estimates based on the effects of taking Angevita out of the mix. So uh, again, biosimilars are going to be a hot issue and money is going to be a very hot issue going forward. Another very hot issue, I don't know if you saw this, but the FDA issued a warning, uh, a safety warning just yesterday, uh, where, and we reported it, but is a tweet, because I don't know the full data, but the FDA safety alert is over for Fabuxostat, saying that there may be an increased risk of cardiac death with Fabuxostat. Uh, and compared to allopurinol. And this is based on a uh, 6,000 patient safety trial that's in play that uh, has shown a signal there. The FDA says we're studying it, but we want to put the information out there and let you know about it. Now, again, cardiac deaths, increased cardiac deaths are part and parcel of dealing with a, 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 a gout population. Uh, and in fact, in the development trials for Fabuxostat, uh, prior to, or about the time they submitted their, their NDA, that patients on Fabuxostat had a 0.8% uh, risk of, of, of a cardiovascular event, ATPC adjudicated events, and that it was four times higher than that seen with allopurinol, which is only 0.2%. This led to a delay in the approval of Fabuxostat, and the company had to do another large study to look at cardiovascular outcomes. And this was called the CONFIRM study. This involved, uh, I think, almost 2,000 patients. And then in the CONFIRM study, they saw a flip of that data. Only 0.3%, uh, 0.2% had cardiovascular events with uh, Fabuxostat and uh, double that with allopurinol, 0.4%. That led to the drug being approved, but obviously part of the approval mandated further study, ongoing study. And that must be this ongoing 6,000 patient trial that We'll be investigating further, but the question is, is this real? Do you need to worry about this? Or is this to basically um, is part of the landscape that you have when managing patients with gout, especially those patients who previously did, did not do well on former therapies? Uh, again, this is one of the confusing and hard parts of managing gout and also uh, dealing with gout research. An interesting report came out showing about a, showing a smoking paradox uh, in PSA. And by that, they, a large cohort of UK patients looked at the risk of developing psoriatic arthritis in the general population. And it was shown that if you smoke, you have a 27% significantly higher risk of developing psoriatic arthritis. However, if you smoke and you have psoriasis, there's a lower risk. It's not significantly lower. It's only a 9% lower risk. But the question is, is this, is this, what's the deal with this paradox? Again, I think there's a lot of ways to look at this. My view is that smoking causes psoriatic disease, and whether it be skin or joints. So if you already have psoriasis, there's probably not much contribution, and there may be some protection through mechanisms not otherwise understood. But if you are the someone who doesn't have psoriatic disease, uh, a normal control in the population, and you smoke, yes, you may be at higher risk for psoriatic arthritis mainly mediated through a higher risk of psoriasis. A meta-analysis of six studies, uh, 8,000 controls, 3,000 patients, shows that vitamin C intake is associated with a lower risk 
of hip fracture, a 27% lower risk, in fact. And in this study, it was shown that a 50%, a 50 milligram per day increase in vitamin C increase, in intake lowered the risk of hip fracture by as much as 5%. So simple, easy. Patients love to take vitamins, recommend vitamin C, especially to your women who are postmenopausal. I found an interesting study about pregabalin improving hand osteoarthritis, a randomized control trial. Uh, and interestingly, it wasn't a large trial, but it was a good sized trial. But in this trial, they showed that pregabalin, uh, uh, but not duloxetine, was able to lower the, um, the pain scores and the, the improve the function scores in patients with hand OA. To me, hand OA is the most frustrating disease out there. It's highly prevalent. There's nothing that works. Uh, you know, especially if they have erosu, inflammatory OA, there's really very few options for our patients. My best treatment is really uh, Tylenol and a low-dose prednisone, and, and that's about it. So anyway, we'll have to see if that pans out in future studies. My, yeah, my video is still going here. Um, three more reports. Stroke is increased in arthritis. This is important because we know that RA increases cardiovascular risk, increases the risk of uh, venous thromboembolic events, but doesn't increase the risk of stroke. This study from Israel says yes, about a 10% increased risk. Methotrexate doubles the risk of hepatotoxicity in psoriasis patients. This is not really surprising for most of us. We know this to be true. Uh, but in this study that looked at large cohorts, it was seen that if you have psoriasis, it doubles your risk of liver disease, including serious liver disease. Uh, and that it, that, but the same was not seen in methotrexate. With RA patients, I'm sorry, same was not seen in RA patients on methotrexate. RA patients without methotrexate have a higher risk of liver disease, presumably inflammation mediated. But if you give them methotrexate, their risk of liver disease does not go up. In fact, it goes down. So again, psoriasis patients, psoriatic arthritis patients are uniquely uh, at risk for liver disease when taking methotrexate. Another reason why it probably shouldn't be used, in addition to the fact that it doesn't even work, in my opinion, and very few studies would actually say that it does. Lastly, thiopurines and anti-TNF drugs causing an increased risk in uh, cancer. Um, this was a large study looking specifically at lymphoma risk. Uh, and what they showed is that with thiopurine monotherapy, the hazard ratio is 2.6, significantly elevated. With anti-TNF monotherapy in IBD, significantly increased, 2.4. And if used combination, it was increased uh, to 6.1. That's thiopurine plus a TNF inhibitor. Again, they're comparing patients on TNF to those not on TNF uh, with IBD. This is not rheumatoid arthritis or any arthritis. And what's unique about this data is that uh, usually in RA, where there's very good data, a lot of data on this, when you compare those on TNF to those not on TNF, the number isn't really increased. It's actually around one because it's RA that drives most of the risk of lymphoma, specifically lymphoma. Um, and then the higher rates of lymphoma, leukemia, et cetera, or when you compare RA patients on drug to the general population where there's a two to six fold higher risk of a cancer and specific more mostly lymphoma. So this is unique. Uh, this is one of the studies, a few studies that says that there might be a lymphoma risk associated with a TNF inhibitor use, but recognize it is being seen in the IBD population, not rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, or, or ankylosing spondylitis. I think it's an important report. We still are worried about this. We need to look at this, but I think the data still is pretty strong that 
you should be treating the arthritis and let someone else take care of any cancers that might occur. That's it for this week on Room Now. Go to the website, see the links. Tune in next week. Thank you and bye.